Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast, brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here, as always, on the Greatest Games Podcast, a chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest games. It can be their time as an assistant coach, a head coach, coaching a camp, a team camp, and a sweaty dirty, dusty gym, just whatever game they consider to be their greatest game. I can't wait for that high school coach or that middle school coach to talk about a team camp game. <laughs> Summer camp game. And is their greatest game. You never know. Maybe that's today's guest. I don't think it is, but you never know when that's going to happen. A team camp game. Aren't uh, this the greatest times? Like team camp? Like, come on now. Like, it's just. One of my favorite memories of you is a team camp game. Really? Is it one that we can tell on the air or off the air? What 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 is one of those? Like, you know what? We'll, we'll talk about. Yeah, we'll, we'll 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 talk about it later. But let's get to our guest for today. He is the former coach at the Padilla School right outside of Atlanta, and this is JoJo Cadre. Welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast, JoJo. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. I'm really hyped up about this. Glad that I could be on the show. Looking forward to talking really about hyped. some good basketball here. Really hyped up. Wow. We have not gotten that, Brian. Yes. That is a new one. <laughs> well, we're we're glad that, that JoJo's hyped up. I'm I'm honestly, as we were talking off the air, JoJo, I'm hyped up just to be able to see you again, reconnect. That's the that's kind of the dirty little secret of this podcast. Yeah, we love to talk hoops and we love to talk to coaches, but we also love to talk to the people that we know. So it's it's glad we're we're super glad to have you here. <laughs> that's right. We're going way back, at least twenty years here. So twenty guys. years. Are great guys. Yeah, man. Years. maybe a little bit more, but we'll just leave it at 20. Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned that to Brian on a recent episode that said that I've known him over 20 years. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. That's a long time. <laughs> they, those, days, those days don't seem that far that long ago. But yeah. uh, So, JoJo, why don't you kind of take us through your resume in basketball and how you got to uh, where you are today? Yeah, sure, sure. I, I went to high school in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I ended up getting to know you guys by becoming a, a walk-on, uh, uh, a walk-on that was recruited out of high school at South Carolina, uh, which was a little nerve-wracking because when I got to South Carolina, I remember the first week I was there, I was at the gym at the rec center. And somebody was like, Coach Fogler doesn't take walk-ons. And I was like, oh, no, what's going to happen here? Um, but luckily, he kept his word and uh, gave me a spot on the team. And I got the chance to really experience a great time with uh, you guys as well as uh, some of my former teammates and coaches. So I uh, spent a couple of years at uh, University of South Carolina before moving on around the time that Coach Fogler retired. Uh, went on to play at the University of North Florida for one year. It was beautiful weather, but uh, the basketball wasn't as good as South Carolina, so it was time to move on. I came back home to Atlanta where I played one year at Emory University before graduating from there the next year and uh, headed over to my high school after graduating uh, to say hello and uh, got offered a coaching position. And the rest is history. I spent 17 years there uh, coaching varsity basketball, 15 years as the head coach. All right, Brian, so trivia. I'm here Brian. now with you guys. Trivia question time, Brian. Oh, boy. And I, I don't know Paideia and I don't know Emory, but what is the mascot of the University of North Florida? Oh, man. Uh, it, I've, I've got a feel <laughs> like it's some kind of... It begins with an O. 
Oh, I was thinking it was a bird. It's the osprey, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. I, right. I could see a bird. And so, JoJo, the joke is, again, just like everybody knows, I'm awful at, uh, at trivia. Blas likes to embarrass me. I, I cry about it every night. But you know what? It's okay. It's, it's all about entertainment, right? I do not know Emory. What is Emory University? I have two good friends that graduated from Emory University. But what, what is Another bird that starts with an E. The egrets? <laughs> The Eagles. Or the Eagles, okay. Rips. So, guys, I, I, I played at three different birds. I played three at birds. three different colleges. They were all birds. That's right. Gamecocks, <laughs> Ospreys, and the Eagles. That is the unique. That will be on JoJo's Wikipedia page. I will make sure. <laughs> <laughs> the e, I can't believe that you went egrets. Like wow, that uh, maybe maybe some of our listeners can tweet as tweet at us if there's a school somewhere in the world with the mascot of the egrets. But you know what? I, just, <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, JoJo, I I, I want to jump right in. I, I I I relate to your just walking in and, and getting a job, but. What what was it about walking in there, them offering you a job that had you wanting to take that job? What was it about becoming a high school basketball coach that was really attractive to you? Well, um, the real deal is that I planned on trying my hardest to play overseas after having not very many minutes accumulated in my college career. So that wasn't very promising. Um, and my parents spoke some wisdom into my mind. They were like, hey, what are you going to do when you're done? playing professionally. Um, and I said, I'll probably coach basketball, you know, I'll probably coach college basketball. And uh, they said, okay, well, uh, when they found out I got this job offer, they said, why don't you just go with it now and start your career and, you know, maybe get an early start. And that's what happened. I didn't end up coaching co collegiately, but uh, I did end up being one of the youngest head coaches in Georgia at the age of 25, which was um, really exciting and a, a great challenge for me at that time. Well, Jojo, so you spent, you said you played there, I believe on the, the sheet you got, you said you played there for two years, your last two years of high school? Three years, 10th through Three 12th years. grade. 10th through 12th grade. And then yeah. you went back there and you've coached. And, and before we talked, before we recorded, you were saying you're the assistant or administrative um, admissions director and, and you taught there. And obviously that place has a special place in your heart. So what is it about that school that's been so special to you and continues to be so special to you and your family? Yeah, well, I think Padre is a great school uh, for anybody who's looking for a rigorous academic um, experience, but at the same time, having a very personal experience with your teachers. Um, there is not a lot of rigidity as far as you know, how you come to school, you're allowed to be yourself. We have no dress codes. The teachers and students are on a first name basis. There aren't any bells. We have a couple of semesters where you get to take specialized classes outside of your traditional topics. So I just think it's a really unique place to be challenged academically at the same time that you have this freedom and you develop these personal relationships. I'm still friends with a lot of the teachers who I had in high school, um, even as an adult, and, and not just the ones I'm colleagues with, but um, also the ones who are no longer teaching. So it's just a special place in that regard. Jojo, one of the things that, that struck me being able to work with you as a manager, rebounding for you, I loved it. Always, uh, every, every home game, pregame, you were out there working harder than anybody getting shots up. Just that work ethic that you just have, just, just continually working on your craft. I saw it as a player, and I got to experience it as a coach running into you at, at team camps and clinics along the way. So where did, where did that come from for you? What, what is that about? How do you work so hard at everything that you're doing? 
Yeah, that's a question that I get quite often. In fact, my mother thought I was crazy, which I probably am a basketball junkie. Um, just, I don't know, I've been fascinated with basketball ever since I was in about third or fourth grade. And uh, I got a late start playing. I didn't play organized basketball until sixth grade. Uh, baseball was actually my first sport. Uh, but when I transitioned to basketball, you know, the, I loved the team aspect. And I also loved the fact that as an individual, you can really impact the game. Um, and, and you do that by outworking your opponent. And, you know, having lofty goals as a young basketball player, you know, wanting to play Division One basketball after a late start and being this tiny itsy bitsy dude, um, I knew that I always was going to have to outwork everybody around me. So um, that was just a part of the type of player I was in high school, you know, when I was one of the better players to even when I got to South Carolina and I was the last guy on the totem pole. I was going to work hard regardless and uh, just prove myself every day. And that continued throughout the rest of my college career. And then also into coaching. You know, I just consume basketball all the time, 24 hours a day. I watch games. I go to games. I coach games. I scout games. Uh, took my wife, who was my fiance and a person I was dating, on, on uh, dates to go and scout the high school basketball games. So I'm just a basketball junkie. So this was a hard question. You know, the greatest game. I've seen a whole lot of basketball. I will tell you, it sounds like you have uh, you did one of your greatest recruiting jobs there. If you're taking your future wife to you know, to to watch basketball games or scout basketball games, you got you a keeper. I know you know that. That's oh, that's yeah, high level. Definitely. That's wow. That's another level. That that lady is. Whew, she's been through the ringer. She sat in gyms and watched high school basketball games. I get paid to coach them. Yeah. I don't even want a lot to be of my former sometimes. players. Blas, a lot of former players come up to me and they say, well, Coach, how do you know Coach JoJo? Because their first name basis. But Coach JoJo, how do you know uh, when it's time to get married? And that, that's one of my answers. If they go to scout a game with you, then, then you might have something. <laughs> sign them up. Yeah, sign them up. No <laughs> doubt about it. Um, well, you were an assistant coach only for a couple of years and the head coach for a long time. Uh, this is an interesting question. What do you think makes a good assistant coach? Or what, what, what did you look for oh, in an assistant coach? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, starting off as an assistant, I was lucky enough to um, assist my former high school head coach. And he really gave me the reins when I got there. He said, I want you to be my assistant coach like uh, you are the head coach for this program. And he was really preparing me to become a head coach. So when I became one, um, I didn't really know what uh, – I didn't really know who to pick as an assistant so um, that was kind of a learning curve that took some time and I actually did some studying on that so I think the best way to sum it up is to say to have someone who can give you 101 suggestions and even though you said no to all 101 they're right there with the 102nd suggestion someone who's going to back you up but also push you um, in, in a lot of different ways because being a coach um, you see things from your perspective. It's really hard to see them from multiple perspectives. So I think that that's it. Loyalty and uh, continuing to challenge you as a coach. That's a great answer, JoJo, about the the hundred questions. I, I this I just finished my first year as a head varsity coach, and uh, my two assistants are, are great guys and they're great coaches. And I felt like sometimes, you know, I would go three or four days without listening to without implementing something they suggested. And I would tell them, you know, just keep, don't, don't worry about it. Just keep saying it to me. I'll eventually, I'm listening to you. 
You know what I mean? I had a, like, I felt like I had to repeat yeah, that definitely. to them. Like I'm listening to you. I'm taking it in just because I don't do it. Doesn't mean I'm not receiving it. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. You have, you have to have that, especially during the games. I think um, you got to have those different perspectives, knowing when to insert players, take players out, change strategies, adjustments, all of those things are really important. That's the, one of the hardest things is a, as for me now as a high school athletic director, I'll have assistant coaches come into my office and say, you know, head coach is not listening to me. Head coach is not, they're not, they're not taking my ideas. And I'm like, yeah, I'll listen. I'm saying, yeah, keep giving ideas, <laughs> keep making suggestions because it's their job that, you know, and, and coach Rick Duckett, we had him on a, a previous podcast here. He said it well too. So people at the top of the chain, they have more information than anybody else. And so I, for me as an athletic director, I don't know what it's like to be a superintendent of a school district for just different examples. So I can make suggestions, but ultimately he's going to make the best decision possible based on the information that he has. And so that's the same way with head coaches. So you, I think you're dead on the money as an assistant coach. Keep giving the suggestions, keep taking things off the coaches' plates and make their job easier. I think I think it's that's huge wisdom for it's a good reminder for me and it's great for all of our all of our listeners as well so <laughs> so um jojo describe if if i well if i asked you this question about your teams what is the greatest compliment that somebody if they watched one of your teams play they came up to you and said jojo your team is blank what's the greatest thing they could say about your teams yeah, that's a great question. And I would say um, it's something that I really enjoyed hearing when I heard it. Um, anytime we played a game um, and at the end of the game, I would hear other coaches or other players from the other team and fans that come and say, hey, your team plays so hard. I guess that's part of, you know, that, that quality that I really value um, as a player. I felt the same way about our teams. You know, if they were the hardest playing team in the gym at the end of the day, regardless of whether we won or lost, um, you're, you're, you've earned that respect and you've earned uh, that notoriety of, hey, that team, when they show up, they're going to play their hardest, no matter what the score is. And I thought we had several teams during my coaching time um, that did that really well. Um, we are not a basketball powerhouse by any means. We had some great runs. Um, we had a, about three years where we were in the state tournament every year um, in the Sweet 16. But other than that, all of the rest of the years were really built on, you know, the kids' experiences as players, but also people knowing that when we showed up to the gym, we were going to play our hardest no matter what the score was. That's, a, that's the best compliment you can get as a coach. I had a freshman team that went 11-11 and 11 one year, and it was I'd come off a bunch of really good seasons, and we were 11-11, and 11, and I told the guys after the season, I said, guys, five different times after a game this year, another coach has told me that we box out better than any team they've played against this year. And that, that's, a, you know, that's definitely playing hard. You don't box out if you're not playing hard. That's for sure. So it was, it was even more specific the one time from that one season. I'll always remember that. I mean, I remember what five coaches it was. That's how much it meant to me. Yeah. And as a coach, I think it's hard to find things, you know, games within the game that you can win. Coach Fogler always taught us in South Carolina, no moral victories. So you don't use that as a moral victory, but you do use it as saying, hey, we did these things well. Let's build off of this for the next game. Absolutely. Um, you talked about uh, being a basketball junkie. What's, what's something you do every day or every week or every year to help you improve as a coach? Yeah, well, I do a lot of things, but um, definitely talking to other coaches. I think that's a 
a big thing, um, talking to coaches who are successful in the same type of environment that you're in. So coaching independent school basketball in Atlanta, um, that's a smaller school classification. So I wanted to stay in touch with coaches who were successful in that year after year. Um, so yeah, continuing to build your network and learning from other coaches. I always went to coaching clinics every year, no matter what. Um, and I look forward to those, those clinics hearing from all types of coaches, college, pro, uh, as well as high school. Um, another thing that I would do every day um, would be to check in on my players to make sure that they have what they need to become better players. So um, one of my, my hallmarks as a high school coach was that I put in the extra hours to make sure our guys had a weight and strength and conditioning coach uh, program and that they had an individual workout program. We ran it just like we did back in the day at South Carolina. Um, even though I didn't have all the assistant coaches and resources, I always wanted to make sure my guys had access uh, to get better. So do I, we could, uh, we've got a list of about, I don't know how many questions we have that uh, we, we choose from. We could just do this for hours with you. I love listening to your answers. <laughs> what we'll just have to do is we'll just have to have a part two is what we'll do. We'll, yes, we'll yeah. come back and have, have you back. Go ahead, Chris. You, you know what else he does to uh, become a better coach is uh, become a guest on a <laughs> podcast. <laughs> okay. okay. All, all, all right. <laughs> I threw I, yeah, I, I threw it out there, Brian. I threw out a bad word. Sorry. Yeah, it's really man. it's really the heat. I'm in New Jersey today, and it's like Atlanta hot, JoJo, today. It's like, <laughs> oh, what yeah. is it? It's 830 at night right now. It's like 94 degrees still. Like, you know, that's, yeah. that's that Georgia heat. <laughs> yeah, we have 90 right now. That's right. <laughs> 830. All right, JoJo. Well, you know the name of the podcast is The Greatest Games Podcast, and it's not a crappy podcast. I don't know. It must be really hot in New Jersey for him to say that. It's, <laughs> it's, this, it's, this, it's, it's, it's oppressively hot. Yeah, it's, say, yeah I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, uh, anyway, I just uh, I wanted to make that small correction there. But I tell you what, like I said, the name of the, game of the podcast is The Greatest Games Podcast, so we know you've got a couple of doozies to tell us about. So take us in the gym. Take us in the arena. Tell us about your greatest games. Oh, man. So I'm going to start with um, high school just as a player. Um, so you guys know the Paideia School is an excellent school. I think the best school in Atlanta. We're not a basketball powerhouse. So anytime we have success, a lot of people uh, turn their heads and say, hey, what's going on there? Uh, so back as a player, a junior in high school, 1998, uh, we had a pretty good team. We had several uh, college basketball prospects on our team. So we were rolling, doing really well, made it all the way to the final four of the state tournament for the I think it was the second time in school history and uh, we were playing a team out of Wheeler County Wheeler County High School and they had just um, been given by the state penitentiary $200,000 worth of weights and when we stepped out on the court we noticed that right away um, by the number of muscles that they had in their legs and their arms and their <laughs> chest and their backs and we said guys this is going to be it we're going to make it to the final four. And we're going to go home. Um, some kind of way. Oh, and by the way, this game was played in Macon, Georgia, where they played a lot of the state final fours over the past two decades or so. Um, so I had lived in Macon from seventh grade through ninth grade. So it was really a big deal to be back in Macon at a different high school, starting on a final four team. Um, so I was, I was kind of satisfied. I was like, okay, we're going to lose to these guys who lift weights every day for practice. Um, and some kind of way, we had a nice little run. In the third quarter, we were down by seven. Um, and and I, as I said, in the third quarter of this game, I'm thinking there's no way we win this. 
Um, but we were able to come back, make a little bit of a run, ended up beating them by four or five. So um, to go to the state tournament, the state championship game uh, from that game for the first time in school history was a really big deal. And I had a whole lot of euphoria after that. I just remember running through the tunnel, jumping up and down um, in, in the back, uh, headed to the locker room. So we celebrated like it was a championship after that game. And it was a good thing because uh, in the state championship game, we ended up losing by two. <laughs> I remember those days as a high school kid just looking across the court and saying, yep, they're like, in this case, they, they have more muscles than us. So we've got no shot. This is, this is, this is it. It's just very trivial type stuff as a high school kid. High school brain is maybe that's not as uh, developed for some reason. I don't know. But I, 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 I well, that it was definitely, Rosie, it was definitely a lesson in, in you know, what we've been talking about so far. You know, you can't just look at the other team and make a decision on how hard you're going to play or whether you're going to win or lose. And I, I use that story a lot in my coaching days to let guys know you can't decide before the game or during the game that you're not going to be successful. You just don't know. You just have to keep at it. And uh, luckily in that scenario, we did, and, and we got a good outcome, even better than a lot of us thought we would. I've heard um... – Conan O'Brien, I'm the first Conan O'Brien reference on this podcast, but uh, he, he talked about his rise and his, you know, somebody asked him a question like, how did you become Conan O'Brien? He said, I was always Conan O'Brien. He said, I was always just in the back, just hitting, I think he said a triangle. He said, I was always just a little ding on my triangle, just a little ding, just, just every day, just, just going to work, going to work. And like you say, just, you know, looking across the court saying, oh, we got no shot. Like, oh, wait a minute, let's, let's, let's rely on what we got, what got us here. Let's just, let's just go to work. So every possession, every possession, every possession, and, and just uh, and believing that that whatever, and this is other thing, something else that's been prevalent in my life right now, like whatever I'm saying about myself will become true, like, you know, and so just to be able to flip that script a little bit, I think I think is really cool too. Definitely, definitely. It's one of those mental challenges that you face as a player and as a coach. Um, so it was a great lesson, and it kind of goes into the next game, if you guys are ready to talk about that. Absolutely. Uh, I'm really I was looking forward game. to sharing the experience. Of, <laughs> yes. So uh, moving on to college, right? This is just, uh, I guess, two or three years after that high school game that was so great. Um, we were playing uh, Florida, who was ranked number five in the country at the time, at the Coliseum in South Carolina. Uh, and we were – we were told through our scouting report that they were really good and they were really good. You guys will have to help me out with that. We know that they had, um, it was Teddy Dupay on that team. They had some other great players on Brett that Nelson. team. Uh, Brett Nelson. Oh my goodness. I mean, uh, was Haslam on that team? I feel like Haslam, Haslam might have been, been a on freshman that on that team. Yeah, Miller Haslam had gone to the pros after his, for, his sophomore year. Mike Miller had gone to the NBA because they had played yes. in the Final Four of the year before with Miller, and then he went to the NBA. But Dupay, Nelson, Udonis came in as a freshman. I believe Udonis Haslam was coached in high school, Brian, by Frank Martin, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. At Miami North or Miami Senior High School. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yep. Yeah. That's right. I mean, so, yeah, they, what a squad. Yeah, and Coach Donovan was just on his, on his rise to be one of the best coaches in the country. Yeah, go ahead. Keep talking about it. <laughs> and you guys know that Coach Fogler was very specific. He provided a lot of information along with the rest of the staff and our scouting reports. There's like two days worth of review on these scouting reports. And we knew every player's strengths and weaknesses. And Coach Fogler was like, yep, that guy's going to be a pro. Yep, that guy's going to be a pro. And uh, we're like, wow, okay. So, again, going into that game, I don't think we necessarily thought we were going to be 
you know, going to be able to just take care of them easily. Of course, we wanted to win, but um, I'm sure there was some uncertainty. Um, so this was a great basketball game. It was really back and forth throughout the game. Um, I, it's hard to remember all the details because the end was so phenomenal. Um, but it came down to the final seconds. I think there was two and a half seconds left. Um, and they were up by either one or two points. And Coach Fowler calls a timeout. And we're all like, okay, this is why he's a good coach. You know, he's going he's gonna to draw something up um, that's going to put us in a great position to win. And, and he did that. Um, but that's not all he did. He turned to one of our teammates who's actually uh, also my roommate. And a good friend of mine, I remember uh, uh, my first time playing with South Carolina before I made the team, he was, he really calmed me down throughout that time. He was like, hey man, don't worry if you're nervous, I'm nervous too. <laughs> and I'm on scholarship. And, I, and ever since that point, we became friends. And uh, he, um, you know, ended up being my roommate. So we, we formed a really close experience. And uh, Travis Kraft was the guy that coach turned to during, during that timeout and said, hey, can you come in? and knock down a shot. And Coach Fogler was also really good at this. He knew how to put players in the right spot at the right time. And it really didn't matter if you had been playing the whole game, if you're having a good game or a bad game, he knew how to put you in those spots. And Travis turns to him and says, yep, I'm ready to do it. Um, and he hadn't played the whole game. He hadn't been playing much at all during the season so far because he has some foot injuries going on. So just for him to be ready for that moment and Coach Fogler to be ready to ask him for that moment was a big deal. So he goes in, we run a play that we, uh, we practice all the time, our side out of bounds plays where uh, we had a post player pop out and it's basically a give and go situation where the inbounder, in this case, it was Travis throws it to the guy who pops out. Um, in that case, it was Calvin Clem Clemens, another one of my really good friends. Um, and Calvin catches the ball, pops it right back to Travis. Travis is about 23 feet out. And he knocks it down, nothing but net. And the whole place just goes crazy. And if you go back on YouTube and watch the video, you'll see us all running around um, on top of each other. So it was the greatest, greatest moment in what was a great game because we beat the number five team in the country um, because of, of that, that great shot and, and all the circumstances around it. I believe we got down late. I want to say with like the under four timeout, we were down by like seven or eight. Florida had looked like they were going to pull away. And then we hit a couple shots mm. to get back into it, if I remember. I do remember the, the John Cooper high step after Travis's shot went in. <laughs> he gave a big high step in yeah. performance down the sideline is the one I remember. I remember watching and that. I must have – I must have been trying the same thing because uh, on the video, I watched it last night on YouTube. On the video, I almost bust my butt coming up off the bench to celebrate with Travis. Um, but I was able to catch my, catch my feet there and, uh, and join in the celebration. Um, the, the other part about that moment is that it's one of the scariest moments ever in my playing career because the, the – what do you call it when you, you, you're half court and all on top of each other? The dog Yeah, pile. you got this pile. And it got so big, I was at the bottom of the pile and I felt pressure on my back and my chest. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> I don't want to die in this moment. Like this yeah. is a great moment. This would, be, this would be awful to die here. <laughs> but I couldn't breathe for a good five seconds. And uh, all of a sudden the pressure was released and we were all, all back up standing and enjoying uh, the victory. <laughs> two, two things, Jodo, you talk about the dog pile. We had a division three coach, uh, Chuck McBreen of Ramapo college on a few weeks ago. And his greatest game was his player hit a shot to put them in the NCAA tournament. 
uh, about three or four years ago. And the player that hit it was his best player and actually injured his ankle in the dog pile and was kind of oh. – was played with only about 75% in their NCAA tournament games later that week. So, yeah, it is scary oh. that, yeah, that can happen. The second thing is one of the great things about my job at South Carolina is after games like that, like if we hit a game-winning shot or someone had like a huge dunk, is the next morning everyone coming by my office to see the replay of it. <laughs> you know, they'd be like, cue it up. Let's see it again. Let's yes. see it again. That was always, that was one of the, one of the great parts about that job. Like guys going to weight room or whatever would come by. Let me see it one more time before I got to go. <laughs> and let me tell you to this day, Calvin Clemens is still asking me to make him a copy of the highlight tape that you made for our season that year. He, he, he doesn't have a copy. So we, we visit every, at least once a year, and he's always like, when are you going to send me the highlight tape? And I'm like, just call de Blasio, man. Like, I don't have like, it. This I don't is have mine. a copy of it. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Get, get, him, get him a highlight video, Chris. Like, I don't have on. it. Like, what? I don't understand. I just, uh, I've got every highlight video from every team I've ever coached right here cataloged. Well, then send it to JoJo. (laughs) (laughs) So he can send it to Calvin. (laughs) The, uh, you know, well, okay. So I'm going to fanboy out a little bit here. So, like, I grew up in Sumter, South Carolina, grew up with my dad, my mom, my family. Lots of times it was just me and my dad going to the Carolina Coliseum to watch college basketball games as, as a youngster. And so at that point, being able to be able to, I know it may sound silly and funny, but like to be able to wipe up sweat, fill up water bottles for all these guys that I idolized for years and to be a part of a game like that at the, at the lower part of that arena, like for fans that we're going to put, we're going to put a link to the actual YouTube clip so you can see the final shot so our fans can see that, our listeners can see that. And then also a link to like one of the oldest school ESPN.com links I've ever seen. It's hilarious what I'm looking at. But it's a great picture of Travis Crabb walking off with his hands up, and you can look up and you can see how many fans are just on top of that arena. Like that I will never forget, and I will always say it's the greatest atmosphere for college basketball when the Carolina Coliseum was packed. And to see that game packed and see Trav hit that shot right in front of the bench was just – it was incredible. I get chills thinking about it. Just what just what a special, special night it was. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And can I add – I'm just going to add a little bit. Um, whenever I watch college sports now and I see a big win, and it's always, a ha- it's always good to have big wins at home, right? Because part of that celebration is going to continue on into the streets <laughs> after right. that game. And I remember um, five points was just – it was wild that night after the game. I mean, full of college students, and we partied well into the night. And everybody knew Travis Crass was the guy. So um, definitely, definitely happy he was my roommate that night. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this stat here too the- – before that shot, he was two of nine uh, from three on the season. I mean, he had not gotten a whole lot of burn. That was, was the, the first game right out of the gates in the SEC conference schedule. So they they start out 0-1. Obviously, South Carolina goes 1-0 with that one. Um, but it's a, a quote here just to talk about, like you said, this is the confidence that, that Coach Folker instilled. He told him, just be ready. We may need you. And obviously, he was ready. I mean, he, and what such a quick oh, release, yeah. too, for a tall guy. How, how tall is Travis? Six, seven or so? He's six, seven, yeah. Yeah, 
super, super quick release. So yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll be uh, excited for our listeners to check out that link. It's, it's, that's a, that's a, that's a hoot. <laughs> All right. So Jojo, we've got one more that you sent in to us. One more greatest game as a coach. We'd love to hear about that one as well. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to talk about this because um, I'm really proud of our guys uh, for the job they did in this game. We, as I'll say again, we're not a basketball powerhouse, but um, there are basketball powerhouses in Atlanta. And one of them during the time of this game was Whitfield Academy, who was coached by Tyrone Johnson. And he is no longer coaching in Atlanta, but he's still a high school coach. And I mean, just a phenomenal coach. We talked earlier about things that you do, you know, as a coach to become better every day. Um, forming a relationship with this coach was one of, one of my top priorities. We would spend time on the phone. Um, I would go and talk to him anytime I saw him at coaching clinics just because I admired how well he got his guys to play. They, no matter what scenario it was, they played their hardest. They never missed a box out. They crashed the offensive boards just like monsters. They were all physically fit and strong. And I'm just asking this coach, I'm asking Coach Johnson, how do you do this? How do you get them to have this mentality? Um, and, and, and his ability was shown throughout their run in the early 2010s um, through the middle of the 2010s. Uh, they won several state championships. They won a lot of games, a lot of region championships, and it was just very hard to play them in any circumstance. Um, this particular year, I don't think they had lost but to maybe one other Georgia school in over three years, three seasons, they only lost to five or six Georgia high schools. So this is this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Um, we happen to have a really good team that year as well. We had several Division One prospects, um, but still, you know, we weren't in a place where people expected us to beat them. Um, so they ended up coming to Paideia, and we lost to them a lot in the three-year span. They ended up coming to Paideia, um, I believe this is 2010, and uh, we played them at home. We were able to keep the game close throughout the game, and uh, and come to the fourth quarter, we had a little bit of a lead and we were able to make some free throws late. And we ended up beating them 46 to 40 or something along those lines. So it wasn't a, exactly a, a specific moment that made it the greatest game I had experienced or seen as a coach. It was just the fact of kind of related to what we've said before, you're going up against someone who you're not expected to beat or no one else has beaten, beaten them that, that are, that's in the same category as your team in some kind of way you go out there and you figure out how to do it. And our players were, were locked in. They followed a great scouting report. Um, they were brave, they were courageous, and they were confident. And it showed throughout the game. And funny, funny enough, after that game um, is when me and Coach Johnson really started to develop a relationship. And I think it was because of the respect that our team had garnered in that competition where he knew if he was going to play Paideia, it was going to be a tough game. And I think that's one of the only times we beat him over six or seven games that we played against his school over a few years, um, including a game uh, the next year where we were up by 15 in the fourth quarter. And that mentality of his team, they just came running back and, and were able to beat us in overtime at their place. Um, so it was just a win, a notable win against a team that – that just not very many teams beat. And also a great opportunity to develop a relationship for me as a high school coach with a guy that I really admired. What were your, what were your thoughts going into that game, Jojo? Or what did you tell your team? 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, with that kind of game, I think it's important to prepare your team, you know, a lot like coach Fogler did with us at South Carolina. I wanted my guys to know how good they were at the things that each individual player did, but also as a team, we knew that they were going to crash the board crazy. So every box out was going to have to happen. We knew that they were going to be physical and stronger than us. So we had to message the referees early and show them that we weren't going to just, you know, lie down. And then the other thing I told our team is that if we're able to keep the game close at the end, the pressure was going to mount on them, you know, against teams like that, the powerhouse teams, as long as you have the game close and if you can get a lead late in the game, you have a chance of doing something special. And we did that in that scenario. And then always free throws, free throws, free throws. You've got to make free throws at the end. So we practiced that scenario throughout the week and uh, it worked out for us. JoJo, what would you tell young coaches or any coach that's about what you're talking about? I think so powerful to have a, a high level game, a highly contested game and to still to retain and almost have that relationship bolstered with the opposing coach after a hard fought game. I, I, I've been around coaches a long time. And, and the impetus for this question is, is really this, that some coaches just, they, they see it so, such as an adversarial type thing that, Oh, we're going against that. So-and-so team. We got it. We, we hate them. And like, you know, and it doesn't really have to, to be that way. So what would you say to a coach about being able to be competitive? Like, yeah, we're going to go out and try to win, but also try to, bolster and retain and even foster a relationship with opposing coaches yeah as far as coach coaching relationships go I think it's really all about respect and um, as long as the coach knows that there's a certain level of respect um, that it, you can only help each other by by having that that relationship right um, I'm sure he was wondering how how we were able to stick in that game with them so he wanted to pick my brain on some of the things that we did and and I definitely wanted to uh, learn more about how his team was so mentally tough. So I think um, just for young coaches, you know, be open. I guess it's being humble, right? Um, you you want to build a strong program. You want to have great players. You want to win big games. But you also want to be humble enough where you can learn from someone else um, and their successes. And then at the same time, you know, there are going to be coaches who your program is going to be more successful than their program at a time. You need to reach out to those coaches as well and provide support because over the 15 years that I was a head coach, you never know when a time is going to come that you need to reach out to someone else um, to get their perspective and, and maybe learn a few things in a tough situation that you might be in. So um, that's something I've definitely developed as a coach over time. That's awesome. That I, I believe in that. And Brian can attest to that with the coaches that we've had on from New Jersey here that I know that I've, cultivated relationships with over the last 10 years here but jojo we're gonna play some trivia here okay all right let's do brian, it brian did you look at the box score from the game yes or no be honest uh, from which game from the the travis craft game um did you look at the box score the box score i looked at a few things but i don't know if i've actually seen the actual box score. okay we're gonna play trivia here who okay. was oh by the way matt bonner was also on the florida team so he was yes, a thank you. 10 year pro as well. Uh, and Haslam was on the team. Who led the Gamecocks in scoring in that game? Ooh. I know. Yeah, I don't I'm know. not going to say it, though. Yeah, Go ahead, what? JoJo. Jamel Bradley. Jamel Bradley, 16. Wow. Three guys tied for the team lead in rebounds. Can you name two of them? Ooh. Three guys tied. It's a tough one. 
Man. Uh, and it was only six rebounds. It was not a lot. Well, man, I'm just going to say Calvin. Is, was Calvin one of them? No. Oh, okay. What you got? Who, who we got? Mar- Marius. No. Marius had three. What a bum. Wow. <laughs> hey. <laughs> That's my former mate, too. I know. I know. He's a beast. Mopey. <laughs> I took a picture. I'm going to text Bernard. I took a picture of us doing this podcast. I'm going to text his wife when we're done here. Definitely. No other guesses? What do we got? Because I've got a trivia question for you once you're done with these shenanigans. Tony Kitchens. Get out of here. Go ahead, Tony. Antonio Grant. (laughs) Uh, And And Chuck Edson. Okay. Oh, what's Chucky? Chucky. And in yeah. even better and even better news, TV Dead Valentine did the game. Wow. He was one of the officials. <laughs> okay. And, and Charlie Weeks had a great call at the end of that game. Yeah. And, and can we just can we just agree on this? That team was such a close knit team. We were it was such a fun team to be a part of. Yes, it was. Great guys and great coaches, great staff. You got I mean, that was one of the best teams I've been a part of. Yeah. Now Jamel did, did Jamel did hike up thirteen shots to get that sixteen. <laughs> Aaron scored fifteen on only nine shots, so we'll give Aaron some credit there too. Well, here yeah. here's a here's a question, and I don't know if I trust the Google machine here or not, but I'll ask it for both of you. <laughs> Who was the coach before Tyrone Johnson took the reins? Is it Whitefield Academy? Am I saying that right? Yeah, Whitefield Academy. Who Whitfield. They, Whitfield. They pronounce it Whitfield. Whitfield. So, Whitfield, who was the head coach before Tyrone Johnson? Anybody know? Um, was it Sidney Green? No. I don't know. I know, but I will remember when you say it. Is, is this true that it was Mark Price for one yeah. year? Was it really? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Wow! How about that? That's where it's. Yes. It. I, I'm learning. I you, knew Chris. it had to be thought, somebody that I knew, like a college coach or an NBA player, but I couldn't even think of anybody. Yeah, I, I was thinking that's, that's. I thought that's where you were going, so I went to the Google machine before you asked the uh, question. But, yeah, uh, you were cheating. Yep, you were cheating. Uh, is it cheating? I mean, or is it just industriousness? I don't know. Is that even a word? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. All right, Jojo. We like to end on this fun question. If I asked a player that played for you 15 years ago, and I asked a player that played for you this past year, when they do their coach Jojo impersonation, which they all have, what's the one <laughs> thing? What's the one thing they say that you always say? That one phrase, that oh, one gosh. point, that one something you find yourself yelling maybe in practice or in a game, there's something you say over and over again. We all do it. I'm a very big let's go kind of guy. So I would say let's go. That's if our it's time to get on the bus, weeks. let's go. If, if we're down by 10, let's go. If we're up by 10, let's go. Let's go. And the different inflections on the let's go. Yeah. The, the, the bus one is let's go. Time to leave. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> It's, it's one of those that's yeah. very versatile. It can be neg, let's go. Get, you know, just it's 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 uh, super versatile, super versatile. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Who was the other coach that said let's go? Who said that, Brian, recently, like oh, two or three man. episodes ago? Who did we record this week? I'm pretty sure – oh, man, was that Nate Livesey at West Florence? It might have been no, Nate. No, that was yeah. do it again. That was do it he again. He would do it again. 
Maybe do it again. <laughs> do it again. <laughs> do it again. <laughs> or was he on? Was he on the line too? Maybe. And, yeah. I don't oh, oh, that's one I would. Yeah, my yeah, players would probably line, say just on get the on the line. line. Someone said, "Let's go, oh, Jimmy Marr." Oh, great, Jimmy Marr. Right. Yes. Great, Jimmy Marr at, at Woodridge in New Jersey. I, I think they would also say five and a half. Five and a half is one that you know they they became very familiar with. Which What's were five the, and a half? The sprints that we did. Okay. Five and a half up in time, 32 seconds. I mean, it's just scarred into my brain and all of my players' brains. So <laughs> that's how I run. If we did five and a half for my school, we would have to do it in 58 seconds. That way everyone could, <laughs> that way everyone could get it. That's right. <laughs> well, JoJo, uh, we, we know you, you were not coaching this past year, taking a step away. Would you, would you like to, to tell our listeners a little bit about, about your current journey and, and, with, and the things that are going on in your life right now? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So um, right the week before the season was to start, um, I ended up being hospitalized for having some weakness in my right arm and weakness in my, my right leg, which I, I definitely didn't pay attention to. I went to work for two days, not being able to write or walk regularly. Um, I eventually ended up in the hospital and was subsequently diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And from that point on, I was um, away from coaching for this season. And sometime around December, I decided to retire so that I can focus more on um, working on that disease as well as spending more time with my family. So um, it has for the, for the moment pulled me away from coaching basketball, but it's still a big passion of mine. I'm still spending a lot of time uh, watching film, talking to coaches, uh, checking in with my players. Um, I've just turned a little bit more attention towards uh, working on this illness and um, doing a lot of research and learning more about it and, and how to be productive um, dealing with such a, it's a very strange disease. Um, it affects people in a lot of different ways. Um, I know that Coach David Blatt was diagnosed a couple of summers ago and it, it, it caused him to go into retirement. And uh, I most recently ran across a player, Chris Wright, who played at Georgetown and, and was the first player in the NBA um, with multiple sclerosis playing for the Heat. He's also played overseas a lot. So I'm just making, making new connections and doing research to learn more about the disease. Uh, so that's where I am with that. And uh, just looking forward and, you know, trying to be positive and, and, and build. So uh, we'll see if I return to coaching in the future. But for right now, I'm enjoying doing some other things. Uh, Jojo, obviously you retired from coaching because of this. You talked to us before the podcast about some, you know, some other things you're doing professionally with your wife. And, but have you found any organizations that, um, that uh, partner with basketball programs, basketball teams, basketball organizations to raise money for this? And, and if not, have you thought about maybe starting to branch out and start your own? Yeah, well, definitely um, I'm looking for ways that I can be an advocate for people with this disease. So I have some, some media things in the pipeline in regards to um, a podcast or YouTube. You know, there are also other channels out there that talk about that topic. Um, a great a great resource for people with MS um, and people looking to learn more about MS is the MS Society. Uh, you can look them up online. They do a lot of fundraising and a lot of research on, on the disease. So um, I would definitely encourage people to check that out and, um, and be looking out for me in the future. I, I definitely want to be someone who shares uh, what it's like to have this disease and, and the steps that we're taking to, to um, heal it. 
Well, that was going to be my question. I've got a, dog, a barking dog back here that's uh, super excited about something that's going on. But um, the, the MS Society, national MSSociety.org, looking here online, looks like it's got a ton of, of great resources there. Um, we'll definitely link that in the show notes. And anything else that our listeners could be doing to, to really uh, learn more about it or be able to support the things that are going on with, with research for this disease? Yeah, definitely. I think that um, always keeping an open mind. I think a lot of times with MS, um, because it affects people so differently, it's kind of the disease that gets pushed to the back. Um, it doesn't have like a definite end result. You know, it's not going to like cause you to, to die right away necessarily. It's not going to shorten your life. It's just something that you have to live with. So um, sometimes people feel like they, they are unsure about talking about it or asking questions. Um, but using resources like the National MS Society um, is a great place to learn. Um, so that when you run into people who are dealing with this, you, know, you can have some correspondence with them or you can know how to support them. Well, that's that's amazing, JoJo. And like Brian said, we will put it in the show notes and maybe we'll have you on to talk more about uh, some things you're doing later when, when the basketball season comes up. And if there's any way that we can help, obviously uh, let us know. But uh, we want to thank JoJo Cadre for being our guest uh, this evening. As always, great to catch up with old time friends. For my co-host, Brian Rosefield, I am Chris de Blasio, and thank you for listening to The Greatest Games.